Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central podcast. We're here today as we recap all the action from day two at the Adelaide Oval. It was a day where, despite England's best efforts, the Aussies strengthened their control over the game. And uh, if it wasn't for us being cruelly deprived of further play by approaching thunderstorms, they could have even sealed the victory under the lights. That was, that was uh, the impression you got at the game. Uh, so the Aussies began the day on two for 221, um, with Manus in touching distance of a first Ashes ton on 95, and their captain Steve Smith on 18. Ethan, Manus did get the ton, but straight after that, he was in all sorts of trouble um, against Robinson. He was dropped, then he was out off with no ball, and then a shocking LBW review, which uh, finally sent him packing. Um, it never was really a comfortable innings for him. I think he, he said himself that he never felt in the whole time, but a, a century nonetheless. Yep, that's, that's right. It was uh, happy for him to get over the line there. Um, but yeah, just a good one for the conversion rate. But he did look quite, uh, quite nervous in that period, I think, between 102 and 103. He was out twice and he hit the one run he hit was a pull shot, which narrowly evaded Robinson at square leg. And he stated himself, yeah, as you mentioned, it's, he never really felt in on this pitch. I think it took him over 300 balls to hit the 103 runs he hit. Um, and that might be due to the English bowlers bowling at a length that was hard to score off. Um, but maybe it's not so much of a road as, as we think. Yeah, quite. Um, but he did get his sixth century uh, in his career and his average moves up to 62.48 now, which is second only to Bradman. So I'm sure the, the comparisons will, will start to come. But um, it does definitely seem we've got another first-class batsman um, in the team. Uh, and the next in after that was Head, um, who walked out to a hearty applause from the SA crowd um, and looked in good touch, but sort of yorked himself to a, a handy Joe Root ball uh, and was gone for 18. Then Cam Green came in, and to be fair, he copped a bit of a jaffer from, from Ben Stokes, but a little bit of a familiar sight getting, getting trapped um, on a, by a fuller ball. Um, I heard Ricky Ponting speaking yesterday also, um, talking about his stance, uh, and he thought that it seemed to be that he was very focused on not getting out LBW, which we know is a, a common issue with, with taller batsmen like himself. Um, but he thinks because it is so open, uh, it leaves him very vulnerable to, to balls like that. Um, do you think this is a problem, Ethan, uh, for him? We spoke about how it's very, he's almost, he can almost do no wrong at the moment in the selector's eyes and very little criticism of him. Um, does this change anything? Has it changed your opinion at all? Oh, no, I'm, I'm reserving judgment. It's been, what, six balls I'm sure he's gotten out twice, but I don't think you can judge a batsman off, off those six balls. I mean, that Stokes ball was just a very good nut. Uh, and that first innings at Brisbane was it. Um, that's just a lapse in judgment. So I know lots of people are you know, forming judgments already, but I, I'd, I'd give him a few more innings before um, making any statements. You know, he's, he's been a good domestic batsman. This season hasn't been as good as previous ones, but you know, he's averaging over, over 40. bats four for WA at such a young age. Um, so yeah, I've still got faith in him and I'm, I'm reserving any judgment for perhaps another two, three innings. Fair enough. Um, maybe a bit more critical of him, but uh, we'll wait and see. Pearson, at this stage, the Aussies were 5 for 294 and it looked a little bit as if the Poms were back in it. Um, how did you rate their bowling performance in the first session as they sort of yeah, tightened we, things up? I think we bowled okay up until sort of an hour before tea, I would have said. 
on day two. That's including day one. I thought we bowled okay. I think at five for 294, the decision to bowl, the sort of slow, turgid, accurate stuff that was just not leaking any runs but not taking wickets did look somewhat vindicated. But that also required us to go on and get them all out for 350, which we certainly did not do because we tired out as well. I think with this waiting game, you've got to be the one that can keep going. And I think Australia outlasted us. So we were eventually shown up for this bowling attack. Yeah. Um, we spoke a lot yesterday about being too short. Uh, Vass in particular spoke about not, not being on the stumps, not making them play. Did you see any difference in the tactics from that point of view? No, there was, there was one over after T in which England had eight players on the boundary and you still hit three fours. I mean, that's surely testament to a tactic that's not exactly working. So, no, I think, I mean, we saw Stokes finally bowled full to Cam Green and he produced a Jaffa that knocked his off pole back. So we can see it's maybe more effective when he pitches it up as well. I can understand at times a short ball tactic. I didn't think this worked. I thought him bowling with often root at the other end just meant we leaked runs for those periods and they could sit in and not lose wickets. Admittedly, Stokes actually took three, which in large part were undeserved by the green dismissal. But yeah, we, we need to work on tactics. Line and length was clearly the most effective and we reverted from that far too often. One thing that's worth noting is the Australian three to six batsmen were all bold or LBW. Yeah. Um, that's probably different to the first day where there was only two wickets the whole day. Um, and it's also notable that there wasn't a single catch at slip in any of the slips or gully the whole innings, um, whereas Australia have got one in the you know, limited overs of bold already. That's a good point. Uh, perhaps a partnership of Carey, who ended up with 51, and Smith with 90, 93, very much steadied the ship um, and, and kept, us, kept Australia well and truly in front, uh, moving the score to 390 when they both departed. Uh, how did you rate that innings from Carey? Obviously, a first test 50 and very controlled knock, I thought. Yeah, well, it looks like he's, he's solid in defence. It's, it's sort of what you want from a keeper, sort of counter-attacking. Um, he's solid, yet scores runs. He's, he's got shots. Um, I do wonder like, if, if he's going to continue bunting the ball to cover. That might be a little bit of an issue, but that's surely one you can fix. But he looks solid. He looks a good find at number seven. Um, and I think we can pencil him in for the, for the series. Um, and yeah, his, his batting looks, looks quite nice. It was a, a knock that sort of took the game away from England. You know, at 5 for 294, they're sort of thinking, you know, if we can limit them to 350, 380, then we're still in with a chance. But, you know, as you mentioned, there were, what, 6 for 385, and Australia finished on 473. Um, I think all England hopes for win are almost out the window now. And that's, that's credit to Carey, who supported Smith and, and also made a, a lovely maiden 50 at his, at his home ground. Indeed. Uh, and I also thought that um, Kerry, obviously, it's a little bit easier when the top order does their job, but both Kerry and Head came in with, with good intent to make runs there. Uh, I think sometimes Australia over the last few years, they haven't really known what that role is for, for the middle order, um, but it definitely seems like there's a clear pan with Kerry and Head. Uh, and then from then onwards, it was pure joy for Australia, really, as Stark, Nisa and even Jai dispatched the bowlers to all areas of the park. Um, at the game, perhaps, uh, you are hyping them up a lot. Um, is, is this the best tail in the world, do you think? Well, I've, I've looked at the statistics uh, and unfortunately, by averages, we are third. 
uh, although England are eighth. So I think it's still vindicated that this tail is absolutely quality. Um, and having Neeser and Jai in for uh, Cummins and Hazelwood, if anything, will strengthen that. I mean, Neeser 35 of 24, Stark with a lovely 39, not out of 39. And Jai Richardson putting a, in a, an audition for the T20 team with nine of three balls. It was just demoralising for England, you know, having seen the tail enders you know, absolutely slaughter them and then they've, they've lost their two openers and the two for nothing. Um, that, that's got to really sting. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll reserve comments that this is the best tail of the world, but I think it's, it's certainly up there and they can, all, they can all bat, which is, yeah, highly advantageous. Very much so. And Pearson, could you have bowled better to them or was this just our class? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Stark issue I think I'm seeing Stark, as in start with a K, not Mitchell Stark, <laughs> is that in 2017, Anderson Broad Wokes took combined figures of four for 230. In 2021 in Adelaide, they took combined figures of four for 234. So they pretty much did the exact same thing four years later. We lost by 100 runs four years ago. We'll probably lose by 100 runs again. This idea that we've spent four years planning how to win in Australia is clearly not true because we've gone back to the exact method we took last time, except Robinson is in for Craig Overton in terms of the bowling attack. It's been too samey. We've not bowled, considering half of those bowls are in our OVI side, we've not exactly shown that we can bowl run preventative overs against the tail after Neeser and Starks knocks. So no, it wasn't the greatest day with the ball. It, it started okay and it just went downhill. You would have to say that the lack of pace with Wood being out and Archer yeah. not, not available yeah, exactly. to the tail. Yeah, the, the attack is too samey. Is, I mean, going into the series, I think England had plans, particularly when Stone and Archer were fit, that we'd have one or two raw pace bowlers in every single test match. At this point, we don't have that and we can't pick a spinner because Leach so we're now in a position where we're picking a attack that's four right-arm fast medium bowlers that get a bit of nip off the pitch. And that's not going to win you tests in Australia. Well, that concluded the Australian innings as they declared for 473. Uh, we've spoken about it a bit, but just to quickly go through the bowling stats for England, Stokes finished with three for 113, Anderson two for 58. But personally, I thought the pick of the bowlers across the two days was Robinson uh, with one for 45. I thought his spell this morning, uh, yesterday morning, um, we spoke about it a bit, so Labashane was very good. Who did you see as your best bowler? It, it's, I think, well, Anderson always bowls dots. I mean, we see his economy was not far off 1.5, if my memory is correct. Well, two and over, I think. Yeah, exactly two, which is impressive. But I think he bowls too many balls you can leave alone. He settles into a slightly short bowling performance when he's in Australia. I think Broad and Robinson were definitely the picks of the bowlers. I thought Broad on day one was probably our best bowler. There were a few overs to Labuschagne that Labuschagne couldn't lay a bat on and kept playing and missing. Then I thought day two, Robinson took over that mantle. The only bowler with a sub two economy as well. I think his 1 for 45 is possibly a little harsh on him. I think he deserved more than one wicket. But I think he and Broad were definitely the two who will come out with plaudits from that innings, if anyone can. Okay, now we get into a time which perhaps isn't quite as nice for you, Pearson. Uh, I know that the Pommy Depression Index, as Vass likes to call it, was uh, going into <laughs> to overload as um, Burns and Hamid strolled out to the crease 
and then pretty rapidly strolled back into the sheds uh, after that as uh, Burns nicked one off, off uh, one nipping away from start. And then Hamid mistimed a flick off the debutante, Lisa. Um, Prabs, how did you rate the, the Aussies bowling? Uh, unfortunately, it was short-lived. We, we had to go home early. But um, how did you think to start things off? It was a great 8.4 overs, wasn't it? I mean, the Aussies were steaming in. The crowd was behind them. Um, didn't it was, it was good bowling. It wasn't unplayable stuff. I, I don't think the pink ball actually moved too much under the lights. It's probably more psychological, uh, that impact. But, um, yeah, they certainly put it in the right areas, probably a little bit fuller than England, um, especially Nisa. He, he encouraged shots with almost every delivery. Um, admittedly, the, the wicket he got was, was a horrid shot. Um, but, yeah, I think the Australians have, have had the mindset of, of getting the ball a little bit fuller. Um, and they've certainly... Yeah, bowled a little bit better with that new ball um, than England did, and that's that shows the two wickets. Yeah, and it was definitely, I think, the most excited Pearson's been all day when when the thunderstorms came and we had to leave. But uh, looking forward to today, what are your predictions for today, Pearson? I mean, I my suspicion is actually that this test will follow very much the trajectory we saw last Ashes test in Adelaide. You hit four four two for eight declared in that innings. You hit four six seven for nine declared in this one. Then we came out and hit low two hundred, sort of two twenty to two fifty. I could see us doing that again here. Then we got you under lights and rolled you for about one hundred and fifty. I could see that also happening again if we get luck of when the new ball comes out under lights. And then I think we'll fall well short of chasing for three fifty or whatever that leaves us with on day four and five. I think if England have any chance, they have to still be at the crease with wickets in hand come stumps. I think that's highly unlikely. But if that does happen, then I think a draw is an option. I think a win for England is now out of the picture. And Ethan? Well, Pearson's certainly fallen off a cliff because before he had Holly Popers making 200. Now he's got the whole England sides making 250 all out. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) Not sure if both of those things are meant to happen at the same time, but I'd say that's very unlikely. Uh, but I do agree with the the overall prediction. I think England will probably get something over 200, although some people question their ability to make 150. Um, last time, I think Australia bowled out for under 150. I'm not sure that will happen again. Um, I think you know Australia will, will probably bat and and declare somewhere around you know 300, 400 lead. Uh, and then, yeah, England in the fourth innings will probably follow a similar pattern to their first innings, I imagine. Yeah, and, and this pitch, perhaps not quite as easy to bat on as um, we, we first thought as well. And it's only going to get worse as time goes on. But uh, that just about wraps up the podcast for today. We'll see you at the, the cricket in a couple of hours, Pearson and Ethan. Thanks for coming on. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more. Thank you.